everybody again to City Life. It's good to see all your faces here tonight. I've seen some of you twice today. Some of you all have already heard from me once. Hopefully you're up for hearing from me again because uh, I shared this morning men's group. Anthony Hiltz is out of town, so I covered for him. And matter of fact, like our entire governance team is out of town and on vacation. So we can basically do whatever we want. All the checks and balances are gone. I mean, if it wasn't hot as the devil's armpit outside, we go outside, do like the Sermon on the Mount style, and I just shout. But uh, we'll stick within here where the AC is nice and good. But uh, again, this morning I was able to share at the men's group, and I, I shared about the lost art of men having deep, dare I say, intimate relationships with other men that go beyond surface level, that deal with our emotions, deal with who we are as a person. You see them throughout the Bible, David and Jonathan, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about Peter, James, and John, even Paul and Timothy in the New Testament, these relationships that went deep between men, but in a culture that saturates everything in sexuality, a close, transparent male relationship raises eyebrows when it shouldn't. But you know, a, a phrase I use that sometimes raises eyebrows is the term man crush. Anybody ever say that? Like, like as a man, you had a man crush on something. Kevin's just shaking his head like, you are crazy. See? Again, sometimes it raises eyebrows. But what is, what is a man crush? If I did define a man crush, it would be a platonic but intense infatuation, an extreme admiration for another male figure. Sometimes fictional, sometimes real life. Uh, usually a man that performs athletic feats that I can't, usually a man that sings way better than I can, usually a man whose very manhood just sparks something in my testosterone, just thinking about him. Basically, it's other men that if I wasn't married and Steph would let me, I'd have a poster up in the room of, but because I'm married, I just got to keep it all, got to keep it all in here. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Thank you. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> I'm a DC sports fan, so basically, Wizards players, Skins players, uh, when you talk about real male figures, the, one of the singers for Elevation Church, Mac Brock, he's got like the vocal range of three human beings combined. So I've, I've got like a, a man crush on his abilities and even just fictional characters. Steph and I watched a show called Luther, developed a man crush on the main character, John Luther. And uh, a man crush that has lingered for over a decade now is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Anybody else? The Gladiator? That's, that's just a lasting one. We'll get back to him because he's so impacted my life. <laughs> but anybody have a, 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 an, an example? You want to help me out, Norvell? <laughs> you were the only one that was like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Even women, somebody you greatly admire. Again, if you were a little kid, you probably have to post her up in your room, but you're older now, so you got to, like, keep it, keep it on the inside. Thor. Thank you, Cord. Anybody else? Joan of Arc. Wow. Classy. That's my wife. Coming up here doing announcements in her boot, as only she can. <laughs> Denise, Amelia Earhart, Mike, Spider-Man, yeah, Daredevil, Matt Murdock, right here. <laughs> Anybody else? Sorry, it just gets awkward the more I talk about it. But since it is awkward and Nate's not here, I can tell you Nate's three man crushes, top three, Tom Brady, Brock Lesnar, and me. <laughs> But if you take a man crush like two or three steps too far, like you just take it too far, it can become what you might call celebrity worship. You know, there's actually something called celebrity worship syndrome. It's a legitimate, quote unquote, syndrome. They actually did a study. Um, they defined it as an obsessive addictive disorder in which a person becomes involved with the details of a celebrity's personal life. 
They did a, a survey of Britain and found that 36% of Britain's population suffers from this disorder. And again, they call it a disorder because their happiness, their depression, their emotional stability is totally invested in the person they, they worship or, or what some might call that they pedestal. They put on a pedestal. Sometimes we pedestal people. And I heard it said once, I don't know who said it, somebody, probably my dad. Once you put somebody on a pedestal, they don't have room to do a whole lot except to fall off. You know, the reality is people will disappoint us. It's a fact of life. Only God in life will never disappoint us. When I hear people say, I've lost faith in humanity, I'm like, why did you put your faith in humanity to begin with? And when I hear people say, oh, this restored my faith in humanity, I'm like, pause. Don't put your faith in humanity because they'll fail you again in a week when somebody posts something ridiculous. And you're like, where's that person's brains, right? But then I've heard some crazy things similar to this from the church, except on honor and about honor. I heard somebody say the other day, we honor the wrong people. I've heard it go even further where somebody was talking about a prominent pastor with a massive platform and they said, don't give honor to Christian leaders. Give all honor to God. And it's almost like this divide has been created, a decision where you've got to decide between honoring people and honoring God. You know, we've been in this series called Big Enough for Both. We're talking about we, we shouldn't and we can't put an or where God has already placed an and and shown that he's, he's big enough for both. We can't take his complimentary truths and the complimentary characteristics as we follow him and, and make them contradictory because it limits God. It limits what we're called to do through him. And it's important to talk about because as we've been in this series, in our culture and in our country, there's just been more and more division left and right in this season. You know, as a church, we need to have a healthy tolerance for difference because that's where we'll find unity. But we need to have zero tolerance for divisiveness in this culture of division. Our culture is like addicted to conflict, addicted to us versus them. There's lines in the sand drawn based on race. There's lines in the sand drawn based on politics. There's a different line in the sand I feel drawn every day where it's, you got to choose your side, pick your side because we're addicted to conflict. And we as the church, we can't be in the business of just creating more division. You know, are there divine dichotomies? Are there real choices in the Bible, black and white decisions we're called to make? Absolutely. Choose this day who you will serve. Elsewhere in the Bible says, choose life or death. Elijah, to the people that were at uh, on Mount Carmel, he said, hey, make up your mind. Stop wavering. Make a choice. You know, at the core of repentance and choosing to follow God is a choice. I'm going to put down something and pick up something else. But we also can't give in to false choices. Some of those false choices we've talked about, again, are, are like grace and truth. In a broken culture, do we dispense grace or do we champion truth and confront people? Well, it's both. Are we set apart or are we sent? We're both. We, we, don't, we can't make these false uh, decisions. And we've looked at about a half dozen of these. Now creating that false choice limits God and the work he wants to do through us, his church. So saying things like, don't give honor to this Christian here, this Christian here, but give all honor to God. It creates a similar false choice. Not to mention when I read that, that quote that said, hey, don't give, don't give honor to these Christian leaders. Give all honor to God. I'm like, didn't Paul say in his letter to Timothy that if an elder is doing their job well to give them a double honor? Like, doesn't it say that? You know, when we focus on honoring God but not people, we create a culture where there's little encouragement, little appreciation, Little praise, little honor. We're like we talked about the other, the other week, you know. You might walk up to somebody and say, Terry, you did an amazing job of worship. But she'd be like, no, 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 no. Wasn't me. It was all God. 
And you're like, you just made that so awkward. I'm never congratulating you for anything again. That was painful. People do that way too much. But it's also a culture, because there's little honor, because there's little appreciation, where people deep down, they they struggle with discouragement. They struggle with self-worth. And unfortunately, too many churches live in it. Too many. A culture with no appreciation and no honor. And it's as if some believe that if we honor people, then we'll take away honor from God. But it's like they say, a rising ship raises all, or excuse me, a rising tide, as they say, not I say clearly. A rising tide raises all ships. Honoring God should lead to honoring more people. You know, our honor of God is restricted by the measure of honor. We show the person the least honor. You know, the, the person we show the least amount of honor. That's holding back the honor of God. Because we get the idea of honoring up. We get the idea that we're going to honor those that are above us. We're going to honor those people that are due our respect. We honor those people that maybe we place on a pedestal. But when we have this perspective, it makes us not only capable of putting somebody on a pedestal above us, but it also makes it possible to put people beneath us that we deem less honorable. You know, we end up putting people into tears, which clearly isn't biblical. You know, as we celebrate communion tonight, we realize the cross creates a level playing field. We're all broken. We're all dishonorable people that needed grace and that needs a Savior. You know, the key verse for tonight, it's, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, and it's in the Amplified Version. It says, show respect for all people. Treat them honorably. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. 1 Peter 2, 17 is the Amplified Version. And you know, when you look at that word honor, and you look at that word all, not some special Greek word that applies to all people except those that haven't earned our honor. It means everybody. All people were called to honor. Anybody here maybe have children or have like a family motto? I've heard pastors share like, we've got a family motto. When I drop my kid off at school, we say this. Steph's got something called choose, or she's got a framed picture that says choose joy. If our, our family had a motto now, probably be choose joy. Just the season she's been in and the joy she's had throughout. But I think of when Titus is with us, I'm dropping him off at school. Something I might say to him is, hey, honor up, honor down, honor all around. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. You know, the problem isn't as, as I've seen it said that we honor the wrong people. The problem, as I see it, is we don't honor enough people. We don't show enough honor. And I'm not saying we take our celebrity worship and we worship people. Because when you look in the Bible and it says to honor people, it's not saying, hey, worship that person. It's saying it means to see the value in them and to treat them accordingly. And I want to look at three aspects of honor in the Bible, what I'll call the honor code, the honor system, and our honor roles. And first to look at the honor code. You know, I I try to read a lot of leadership books, and the more leadership books you read, the more they talk about culture, talk about culture a lot. It's a big deal. It's what you feel when you step into an environment. A culture is created by the shared views of the people in that environment, like Chick-fil-A, my pleasure every time, right? You don't get that other places because their mission statement is to treat every person with honor, dignity, and respect. You know, people have come in here and been greeted and treated as family because that's our culture. You know, if you're a guest, I want you to feel at home because God loves you. God's got a plan for you, a purpose for you. We hope it's here. If it's not here, it's going to be at another church. We want you to find God's purpose for you. And there's been people, they ask one of our leaders, they're like, what, uh, 
what curriculum do you use for your people to greet people? Like, what do you work them through? And he's just like, we're nice people. <laughs> we actually like you. Like, that's our, our culture because it's a shared view of the people in this environment. And, you know, again, to take it back to my man crush, Maximus, right, as a leader in the movie Gladiator, he made this statement before every mission, strength and honor. Strength and honor. I watched that movie dozens of times in college. I was this close to getting strength, I think, in Chinese lettering here, honor in Chinese lettering over here. Everybody's shaking your head. That's why you don't get tattoos young. Wait till you're, like, really mature. Because if I got a tattoo at 21, I'd be a mess. But, uh, yeah, strength and honor. At that age, I understood strength. But I didn't really understand honor, especially before Jesus. I didn't show a whole lot of honor because it's easier to find dishonor in our society than it is to find honor, right? Husbands looking lustfully at other women, wives berating their husbands, men abusing their wives, children abusing their parents verbally, people gossiping about one another, people on social media bashing our president and our leaders. You get a lot of pictures of dishonor in our culture. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58, Jesus walks into a, a similar culture that's just defined by dishonor. It's Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58. I'm going to put the very end of it up on the screen, but I'm going to read the whole passage. Verses 53 through 58. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. You know, a key to the move of God or a key to crippling it is honor or lack thereof. And you might say, well, well, right there it says it was because of their lack of faith. But their lack of faith was rooted in a lack of honor. They weren't able to see who Jesus was and value him accordingly because of familiarity. You know, familiarity can be one of the greatest foes of honor. Because what we're familiar with, we often treat with dishonor. We often treat casually. All the parents in here probably just said, should have said amen because you've experienced this with your kids. When you're, they're around you every day, it's so easy for them to treat you with dishonor. But those who knew Jesus the most honored him the least. I mean, I'm sure these people turn to their wife like, he's the carpenter's kid. He made our dining room table, right? Like he went to school with our, our, our daughter. Like who is this guy? He can't be all that. And again, Jesus said only in his own town is a prophet without honor. And where there was no honor, there were no miracles. Dishonor is costly because dishonor disqualifies. You know, are you contributing to a culture of honor, both in our church, in your workplace, in your school, in your community? Are you contributing to a culture of honor? Because if you want a culture where God moves and makes himself known, honor is like an old video game cheat code. What is it? Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, something, whatever it is. You used to have it memorized. But the honor code is this. Dishonor disqualifies, but honor unlocks God's favor. Dishonor disqualifies, but honor unlocks God's favor. And maybe you're like, you're fishing for a little much out of this one passage. But we can look back at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, God says, I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. And I don't have time to get into the whole story of 1 Samuel 2, but the problem was with their worship. 
You know, when we honor God in our worship, we should take on his commands. And God commands us to love and honor our neighbors. Our honor, again, our honor of God won't rise any higher than that neighbor we honor the least. That speaks to the the honor system we're called to, our, our standard operating procedure with honor as we walk through life. You know, we may consider ourselves good at honoring God, but what is the, the honor and worship that God wants? What does it look like? You know, Romans 12, 1, you've probably heard it before. It says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Basically, honor him with your life. But what flows naturally from that verse? In verse 10, it says, honor one another above yourself. It's not just about honoring God. God wants us to honor people. You can't be hard-hearted towards people and then come to church and try to be open-hearted before God. You can't be hard-hearted with people and open-hearted toward God. That's, that's an either-or. We're, we're in a series called Both And, but that's not one. Honor should flow in all directions to all people. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. Because the level of honor you give something reflects the level of value you see in it. Oscar Wilde has a great quote. Nowadays, people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. People included. You know, there's a group on Facebook, maybe you've seen it because everybody and their mama follows it. It's got almost 18 million followers. It's called Humans of New York. And what it is is there's portraits of people, portraits in photograph form, sometimes with a paragraph. Some are no more than a sentence, but some of them are lengthy paragraphs about this person's story, their remarkable stuff they've been through and they've overcome. And I was joking with a friend recently because a lot of times it's people who have overcome hardship or they're in the midst of hardship. And then somebody opens like a GoFundMe in the comments and there's like thousands of dollars raised because there's... 18 million people that just read about it. So I was joking with my college friends as Steph and I were trying to close the, the funds for our adoption. He's like, you just need to get to New York, find where this guy is, get him to take a picture of you, tell your story, and boom, you'll have all the money you'll need. We'll pay for his college and his first car by then. But anyways, it's people on this page that you would pass on the street and you would never give a second glance. But I love in, in the description about the group, it says, Humans of New York is about understanding and compassion, that everyone has a story and value. You know, what should affect the value we see in people? What makes a person worthy of honor? Is it a photo and a Facebook post, or is it more? I've shared this quote here before, but C.S. Lewis says, there's no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, marry, snub, and exploit. We've shared this verse recently, too, because of just everything that's going on in our culture. But in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, honor sees the supernatural behind the natural. That no person is ordinary. No person is common. Each person is handcrafted by God. And because of that, they have inherent value. You know, I was an art major at William & Mary, so I did a lot of painting. And one of the things we had to paint in addition to people and still lifes and, and all of that and landscapes, we had to do copies. So we had to uh, copy somebody else's painting. Usually it helped to do a grid, flip it upside down, and you would just try to make it look exactly like the painting. And my mom loves Monet, like her favorite artist ever. So I, the woman with the parasol, I painted that for my mom. I like to think, like, a regular Joe walks in from the other side of the room, they'd be like, oh, that might be it. Like, but it's not. And even if I did get it to where it looked exactly identical, the fact that I painted it and it doesn't have Monet's signature on it means mine is worth pennies compared to his. He made the original. It's priceless because it has his signature on it. 
And each day, the people you pass day in and day out, God created them and his signature's on them. And for that reason, Jesus looked at each person we pass daily and said, I'll die for that person. What's the value of the person that you struggle to honor? Jesus' life. The level of value, again, we see in something affects the level of honor we give it. People who you might see as nothing, nothing like you, were created in the image of God, just like you. That person's corny. That person's a jerk. That person gets on my nerves. God created them. Jesus died for them. And they're still due honor because they still have value. And you know, this might be a newsflash to some of you. This might be like groundbreaking. But you can disagree with somebody and still treat them with honor. You can dislike somebody and still treat them with honor. You can have absolutely zero desire to get to know them ever or ever know their story. And you can still treat them with honor. You know, the hard part is, though, when you know somebody's story, you know what they've done, and you're still called to honor them. And that's going to bring us to just our last part on, on honor roles, playing our role. Because how do you deal with dishonorable people in an honorable way? You can preach a whole sermon on David honoring Saul as he was persecuting him and chasing him and trying to kill him. But we tend to pedestal and honor people who believe like we do, who approve of the same things we do. We tend to pedestal people with the virtues we admire. But if you look at the fact God created everybody, regardless of what they've done with their life, you realize people have value before they ever have virtue. People have inherent value. You don't have to wait for somebody to think like you or agree with you to honor them. You can accept somebody without approving of their every habit or life choice. Matter of fact, the church should accept people before we would approve of their every life choice. The church needs to be a place where people belong before they ever believe. We need to provide a place where people can realize that I'm accepted by God, regardless of what I've done, regardless of what my resume is, regardless of what my track record is. Because 1 Peter 2.17, again, it says, honor all people. Honor all people. You know, we get unconditional love. For crying out loud, Tupac made a song called Unconditional Love. We understand that. But unconditional honor. Honoring people that live dishonorable lives. Honoring all people. Not just honoring perfect people. Because if we only honor perfect people, here's a newsflash, we wouldn't honor anybody. <laughs> We're all dishonorable. You know, in 1 Peter 2.17, that's where it says honor all people. You go on to verse 18, it says even those who are harsh. You go back to verse 15, it says, so that by doing good, you will silence the foolish talk of ignorant men. Ignorant people that talk foolish. Probably had a couple people just pop up in your head. A couple people on your Facebook page. You're like, yeah, I know a couple ignorant folk that talk foolish. What's your response to those people? Is it honor? Because our culture is just stuck in this cycle of dishonor. You know, we've talked about it just in light of recent news that just one of the biggest tragedies in our culture today is, is the lack of value of life, the sanctity of life. You know, injustice, constant death, litters the news, and, and, and so often we're not moved because we've, we've been numb to it. Loss of life, injustice, millions aborted. But it's not even just about death either. Social media. You can say anything to anybody with little to no repercussion. And what's funny is when we put these celebrities on pedestals and we obsess over them for years and then they fall off the pedestal, it's so easy for our culture to just turn to 
piling onto them, trashing them, what, what some might call public shaming, where people hurt people with zero accountability and zero honor. We demonize, diminish, sometimes destroy people's lives, and it's like we find enjoyment being a part of the mob, like the Pharisees who would point to those people, like the Pharisee in that parable who prayed, at least I'm not like that person. And we still join in to that mob. But at the same time, I think we'd all say we want more honor in our culture. We see the value of honor. but We have to realize the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. One of the worst cycles to get stuck in is a cycle of dishonor. But 1 Peter, again, 2.17 says, show respect and honor to all people. I'm not going to honor or obey that person because they're a jerk. Doesn't apply. Sorry, right? That person doesn't deserve my honor. No such thing. It's wrong. And we got to ask ourselves, do I really expect an unbeliever to break the cycle of dishonor? Because without God, without him creating us, without his purpose in our lives, we don't have value, which is the source of honor. So people who don't believe in in God as their creator, they operate out of dishonor naturally. It's their standard operating procedure. But people who do, you and I, our standard operating procedure should be honor. Everybody. If honor was earned by our behavior, again, we'd be stuck in an eternal cycle of dishonor, unbreakable. But we as Christians are called to break that cycle. How do you break the cycle? You realize that honor is what you decide, not what that person deserves. Honor is what you decide. You come to that decision, not based on what I feel they deserve. Because you know what Jesus decided they deserved? His life. He said everybody's worth dying for. That's how we broke the cycle of dishonor. That's how we're called to do the same. You know, it says in Romans 5, 8, even while we were still sinners, even while we were still dishonorable, I have that in brackets, there's hundreds of translations, somebody says it that way. While we were still dishonorable, Christ died for us. And then Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus put us above himself, took on flesh to die for us. And then it goes on to say that therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, if I could have the worship team come up, we're going to close for a minute. We're going to step into a moment of prayer at the end, but I can just tell you before every service, that's my prayer. At the end of every service, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you know where our society gets honor? Like we understand the need to honor people? It's when people die. You know, no, no matter how ratchet or repulsive somebody has lived their life, we always find time to, or find ways to honor them at their death, to put them in a place of honor. You know, a celebrity that tabloids blast for decades Right? They, they could pass away, and then all of a sudden we're waxing poetic. You look at, again, the, the movie Gladiator. Just go keep returning to it. Right? At the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it by now, it's too late. He dies. Sorry. And he's lived his life as a gladiator. People who died for entertainment. Completely dishonored. And in the end, the empress comes out, and he's lying on the ground dead, and she says, honor him. You know, so often, why do we wait to let people know they're honorable and they have value and that they're due honor? Why do we wait until they've passed? You know, what I would encourage you tonight is don't wait. Right living 
eulogies. Celebrate people while they're still alive and breathe. Remind them of their worth. Remind them of their value. Because some of those people in life that live so dishonorably, that are such a pain in the rear, they live that way because they fail to see that they have purpose, have value, or are remotely honorable. But Jesus died for them. Somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to tell them the truth that they have value. You know, again, I shared at men's group this morning, thought about bringing my guitar, thought about opening with worship. I was looking at the, the worship list for the church. I'm like, what? Just gets my testosterone going. And after a while, got distracted. was like, you know what? I'm just going to not sing a song. We'll just go in, talk, share, whatever. But on the way back from men's group, I was listening to a, it's a group called Thrice. They're a, a hardcore rock band, but they've got a song called Stand and Feel Your Worth. And I'm like, yes, distortion, guttural yelling. Like, this is, this is manly right here. But I couldn't pull that off of my acoustic anyways. But it's got a, it, this is all coming to a, a point. It's, it's got a line in it that says, stand and feel your worth, oh my soul. Kneel and know the word that came to die. You know, we have worth, we have value because Jesus came to die for us. Value, I mean, we shared it the other week. Value is not based on a price tag. Your value or an item's value is based on what somebody will spend on that item. And you might've heard a, a slightly more popular song that says Jesus paid it all, paid it all. Again, we live lives of honor because the level of honor you give somebody reflects the level of value you see in them. Let's be a church that shouts the value of people that Jesus showed on the cross by the honor we show them. Let's show people honor that reflects the fact that Jesus died for that person. Person you find annoying, person you find just a pain, person you love. Everybody is due honor. So let's stand as we just come into this time of closing. Again, that song says, stand and feel your worth, oh my soul. Kneel and know the word that came to die. If maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, man, I don't know that I have value or worth. Jesus came and died for you. If you were the only person on the planet, only person on the world, only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you because he loved you that much. Come on, as a church, as a group, we can't be hard-hearted towards people and open-hearted towards God. We can't expect him to move if we don't live by the code of honor he gave us in the Bible. We're called to break that cycle of dishonor. So God, I just pray as we go into worship, God, that you would break our hearts for, for what breaks yours. Lord God, those people that don't understand their value and their worth, Lord God, that we would be able to, to step into moments where we remind them of, of the fact you died for them. There's infinite value in that. The life of your son. Come on, let's end offering our worship and offering our praise to that, that, that Savior that it says in Philippians 2 is now seated at the place of highest honor, given the name above all other names. You know, we, we had pre-service prayer and there was a song that was playing and the lyrics are, I want to seek you first. I want to love you more. I want to give you the honor you deserve. God, we want to seek you first. We want to love you more. We want to give you the honor that you deserve. God, you ask us to give our lives as a living sacrifice. We give it again tonight. God, we say inhabit our praise and more importantly, inhabit us. Use us, Lord God. But we pray that even as we worship now, you would fill us with your spirit. The spirit that it says in the gospel of John, it reminds us of everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did. 
God, where the enemy would try to tell us we don't have worth or we don't have value or we've been disqualified or we've done too much, Lord God, remind us tonight of your grace. That even as the law told us we were guilty, your grace abounded all the more. But God, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. We recognize that you are seated in the highest place and do every praise and all of our honor, Lord God. You are worthy tonight, so we worship you. We worship you.